Well, good morning. Uh, I, I have to, sorry, I have to take a little, I have to have, to little, have a daddy moment here. So uh, last week I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where my daughter, she qualified for, my daughter qualified for this uh, Youth National Olympic um, weightlifting competition where she placed ninth in the nation in Olympic lifting. That's the snatch and clean and jerk. So that's my daddy moment. So I just, I was, that's where I was last week. I was in Grand Rapids and it was awesome. And I'm scared of my daughter a little bit now. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was good stuff. Um, all right. So, hey, we're week nine out of 10, right? So we're doing these 10 week all through the 10 commandments. And um, we have just, so here's the ninth commandment right here. Um, we ha- do we have that? Yeah. Okay. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. All right. Um, here's what we believe. We believe that the word of God is timeless and that these words should pierce us. Um, and the Ten Commandments are essentially, um, here's your blueprint. Uh, maybe we don't see it that way. Maybe you see it as a checklist of what not to do or what to do. But no, it's just, okay, you want to know how you're made? Um, here's the way you were made. Um, and so if Adam and Eve never sinned, Right? And we didn't have uh, sin at all, and, and time would have just gone on. The Garden of Eden without sin, here, here's the way it would be. You would never, <laughs> you would never bear a false testimony against your neighbor. You just wouldn't do it. It's not in your DNA. You are not made to do that. But sin has come into the world and affects us and pulls us in different ways. And all that um, the Ten Commandments tell us, it's the summary of God's way of living. He says, no, it steals from you, right? If you don't understand the power of of your tongue, here's what can happen. You will bear false witness. You will say lies, right? Because Satan is the father of, of, of deception. He's the father of lies. You will begin to lie, and that's an indication that you know sin has got you, right? Satan has got you. That's an indication that you are not living according to the blueprint that God has given you. And so, James, and this is kind of, we're going to work through this passage a little bit more. The half-brother of Jesus, um, you know, we have a whole book in the Bible that James wrote. And um, he talks about the power of words. Um, and this is James chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 3 and, uh, and kind of put some more uh, muscle or meat on the bones of, of what it means to not bear false witness. When we, put bit, uh, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers... Can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. How are your words, right? How do you, you, how do you use um, 
the tongue, the power of your words, right? It's powerful, right? Just, just if we come to the first point, let's go to our first slide here, is that, have the first slide. Your, your words matter. It matters. What you say actually matters. It affects, it affects people, right? So we had sports camp this week, which was great. And I had the boy, I, we did flag football and it was great. You had basically five-year-olds to 12-year-olds. And uh, one seven-year-old came up and told me, we were throwing the ball. He's like, Coach Frank, hey, man, you have a pretty good arm. I was like, thanks, man. And I wasn't thinking this is a seven-year-old, but I'll take it, you know? All right. Yeah, it kind of flicked that one. That kind of went well. You know, it was good. It's good stuff. Thanks. Thanks, man. So we played, and then about halfway into the morning, we, we had a time of snack, and we drank something. He was kind of my buddy. You know, he was kind of, kind of near me, and you know, I, I wanted to be near him because he said a nice thing to me, right? <laughs> we were pals, man. <laughs> Keep saying stuff to me. I like that. So we're, so we're there and drinking a little bit, kind of, you know, talking. And then he kind of leans over and says, Coach Frank. Like this. I'm like, yeah. He's like, man, you smell. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do, don't I? But I have a good arm. Tell me I have a good arm. But I also smell, right? right? It's, like, it's like, you know, uh, that hurt, man. You didn't have to say that. That, that hurt. <laughs> but that thing about the arm meant a lot to me, man. Thank you. Let's keep doing life together. No, words, words matter a ton. Um, Jesus says this in, in Matthew 12. He says, I tell you on judgment day, you will have an account for every idle word. Right? Proverbs 18 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Right? What does it mean? What does it what does it mean for us to use our words, right? To, for us to use our words and realize that, hey, our words are powerful. God made them. They're like a rudder, a rudder on a huge ship. It, it, I mean, it determines your direction, right? It, it will determine, it will be a, a determining point for your influence. And just like stealing takes away property because God invented for us, uh, invented us to have things to take care of, right? Don't steal, this is your stuff. Don't steal someone else's stuff. It's their property. Do not steal. Hey, look, uh, when you're impure, it tramples sex. It kills sex when you're, when you're impure. Please don't do that. You weren't made to have the same way, right? We're not supposed to abuse or kill or even say abusive things to each other because what do we do? We trample on the dignity with which God has given us. And so how do you view your words? Because here's what we know. If you bear false testimony, that lies demean humanity. That, that when you lie, when I lie, we begin to treat people as objects. And Jesus knew that. Moses knew that. Um, and a lot of us say we couch the power of our words like this. Um, don't lie. Because you know what? Marines, we don't lie. Okay. Marines don't lie. That's why we don't lie. No, no. Right. Because... Hey, young boys don't lie because young gentlemen and gentlewomen don't lie. We don't lie. That's why we do it. And no, we're saying, look, God has given you greatness, has given you the imago Dei, the image of God in him. And when you lie, you kill that. You trample on that. That's why we don't lie. Not just because someone puts a slogan and says, because we're in the army, we don't lie. Or because we are this, we don't lie. And so when he begins to say, when Jesus 
and, and James who lived with Jesus and knew the power of Jesus' words and knew the power of destructive words. He goes so far as to tell us that the tongue is so powerful because you know what? It can set the world on fire because it steers your entire being. But if you really look at this passage, I think you'll see that the power of the tongue rests in the fact that words have power over who? The one speaking. That your words, when you use words, they actually begin to have power over you when you say them, right? Because when you look, he says, likewise, the tongue. If you can harness the tongue, what? You can harness yourself. If you can harness your words, you can actually harness yourself. Because if you think about the words, your words in the short term, um, and and when you sin, you... uh, you hurt other people in the short term, and you hurt God in the short term when you lie, when you use words improperly. But don't just look at it short term. Look at it long term. You look at what, what the, the tongue does long term. Basically what the Bible says is, look, in the, long, in, in the long run, man, you hurt yourself. You hurt yourself more than you hurt God or you hurt uh, you know, your neighbor. The law of God, it's not just busy work. This ninth commandment isn't like algebra class. Here's a, here's a set of problems to do to get the 45 minutes over with. Not busy. It's, it is what, in the way in which we are supposed to live. It is not arbitrary. And so when you misuse the tongue, you abuse yourself. That's what James is trying to say. That's what Moses is trying to say. Because you know what? It has tremendous amounts of power over my character and over your character. It, it defines us. And so when you take an angry thought, think of an angry thought you've had this week. Who have you been angry with, right? Who have you been bitter towards, right? You think of, think of that person that you, you had that thought, right? You had that thought. Now let's take that thought, right? And you clothe it in words, right? You put words to it. What happens? It has power over you. It changes. The thought put into words now has a different power over you. And when you sit around and you say stuff like this, you know what? I can't believe I did that. I am... <laughs> I am, I'm just, I'm dumb. I am an idiot. I have no strength. There's no strength in me. I have, there, you know, there's not much to me. And when you begin to say that out loud and put words to those thoughts, man, it begins to begin to de- define you. And so what you say with your words, it takes on a reality and your words begin to take on a being of their own. Now, you may think what, is trying to be said is, okay, so obviously the, um, the solution is, well, um, if you have any negative thoughts, then never say anything, right? That's, that's the solution to this problem. If we're going to deal with our, you know, these issues, no. What James is pointing out is the power of words. And so if you really want to work stuff out in your life, um, if you really want to work it out, it's really not done so much uh, through thinking as it is through talking, right? Because words have power. Because it's power to talk something out. It's one thing to think something out. It's another thing to actually talk something out. And so in the, in, in the right environment, what James says, he says, you do need to say, in certain environments, I'm bitter. Right? Because there's, there's a, an important way that the Bible says, hey, we, we need to self-organize and self-realize. And, and, and we need to cleanse. And you know what that is called? According to the scriptures, confession. That's the way we do that. And I know we do it silently here every week. 
But you know, in the scriptures, particularly in First Peter, when he's talking to these new converts, he says, you know what you, you do it will be for self-cleansing? When you, you have to talk out the thoughts, the impure thoughts that you have, the prideful thoughts, the lustful thoughts, the envious thoughts, right? The greedy thoughts. You need to find a brother or sister in the faith, and you need to confess to your brother or sister. Now, you may not be doing it to them, but you need to confess your, your sins publicly, right? And so, in right places here, hopefully, you do that at the Lord's Supper, right? Once a month, when we come together and we give you time to think about your life, that you are confessing. That you're, or, hey, some of us, we need to go to counseling, right? We need to go, and we need to put words to our thoughts and, and work through them. Maybe you just have a really close friend. We need to talk it through, talking out your issues. Because if you don't, if you don't work through them, right, they can take on a reality. And so when we do that in community, we don't do it uncritically. We critically have this ventilation process to where our words are giving, right, and we're thinking through them. We help, words help our thoughts, right? And then we use the scriptures. We use the spirit of God. We use our friends to work through them. And, and as we do this, you know what? We can get good feedback. We can realize, you know what? And I thought I would never, ever be able to do this. And, and I put words to it. And my best buddy told me that that was a lie. You can't. Like, you've thought this about yourself your entire life. And um, I confessed the true belief I have about myself. And, and I told that to my friend. And he said, wow, that's like a foundational core belief you have about yourself. And that is a lie. I don't, have you ever, like, worked through this stuff before? No. I'd think about it. I, this is probably the first time I've ever said it to anybody. Okay, yeah. That doesn't sound right. Or what's the other side? When you begin to work through, and this is the harder part for some of us, right? We begin to work through stuff, put words to stuff, and you realize, man, I got a, I got a high slash arrogant view of myself in my sphere of influence. I think, I think I'm kind of above people. And that's why I've removed myself from people because I think I'm, I mean, it feels weird to say this, but I think if I'm putting words to thoughts, I think I'm better than people. I think I've got an arrogance problem, right? I think there's something about me. So we begin to work it out. And then your friend says, you believe that? You believe you're this compared to everybody else? No, man, we're all the same. We're all the same. You think you're worse than everybody else? Nah, man, we are all the same, but words When we put words, we clothe our thoughts with words, right? They take on a new power, and that's what the ninth commandment is getting at. We want to take those thoughts and and work through them. Let God take them. Because you can have all kinds of terrible and destructive thoughts in your hearts, and you can have all kinds of beautiful, uplifting thoughts in your heart. And when what? When you turn them right into words... And you turn them into promises. When you say good things out loud, they have a reality. And when you can say that to your son or your daughter, the thoughts that you have about them that are beautiful, man, you lift them up. You don't know what that means to them. You have no idea. You have no idea that when you, when God, you know, kind of opens your heart, let's say, and on a random weekend, you see your son in a new light and you just say it to him like, man, pal, you're a gift to this family. You bring this to this family. You know what that does to a son? You know what that does to a daughter when you say it like that? And then you know when you are having sinful, horrible thoughts 
and you don't vent it. You don't, you're not critical of it. And when you just say it, you know how destroying that can be to someone? How destructive it can be to someone? Words matter. Your words uh, make a big difference. And so when you begin to think about it, right? When you begin to think about um, the tongue being so powerful. You know, we used to say the, the old kids rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? But words will never hurt me, right? No, <laughs> that is not the truth at all, right? Words were meant, right, to be powerful. And if words are powerful, they have unbelievable, uh, they have so much power to lift you up or to destroy you. They can hurt you because they are powerful. God made them powerful for us to use. Proverbs twelve eighteen says this, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing, right? Words penetrate. Words lift up. Words can destroy. How are your words? Think about the words that you use this, this week to your spouse. The words you use to um, your kids, to your closest friends, to your um, workmates. So when you think about words, they do matter, but I want to move to this point, asking this. How then can words um, be abused? Because when you look at what the Bible says about words, here's essentially, it's Ephesians 4. He says, here's what I want you to do, church at Ephesus. I need you to speak truth and love. And you've heard, you've heard me say this a lot. When you use words, speak truth, but do it in love, right? That's, that's what you have to do. Um, untruthful words or unloving words Either of them, James says, sets the tongue on fire from hell. <laughs> um, unloving or untruthful words are absolutely, uh, they will cause a fire from hell if um, that's what happens. And so when you actually look at the ninth commandment, here's what it says, do not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So like we've done the past nine or eight weeks, flip it positively, right? So what, what's the inverse of that? Well, here's what it's saying. We need you to bear truthful witness. Tell the truth. That's what this command says. So represent reality as it really is. That's, and on the other hand, right, bear truthful witness. Do not bear false witness. Um, on the other hand, the whole purpose of the truth is what? The whole purpose of the truth is to be for your neighbor. That's the purpose of truth. Right? So represent reality. Um, tell the truth. But the purpose of truth is for your neighbor. And so you must tell the truth, but the whole purpose is for others. So when you begin to think about that, um, you need to understand this, that there is a kind of truthfulness in the Bible that is repugnant to God. He can't stand certain kinds of truthfulness. I mean, he, he, you know, he, he would, uh, it, it is not, it's not just, well, the Bible says to be truthful. No, God is truth and God is love, right? It's both of those. And so, when you begin to understand the love, right, that God's love is deep and wide, right? Deep and wide. We sang that during vacation Bible school. How is it deep and wide? How does it show us um, the depths of God? Well, God's omnipotent, right? And what did he do when he created the world? He said, let there be light, and there was light. His words created um, truth. Here's light, right? Here's the separation in the world. But um, did God ever say, let there be forgiveness of sins. Right? Let there be light. Right? Let there be animals. Let there be... Did God ever say, let there be forgiveness of sins? No. He didn't. He didn't at all. Um, 
he didn't snap his fingers and say, that's there. He, because truth in love, truth and love, you know what? There's a tension in that. If you don't feel that tension, you don't, you don't understand Jesus. You don't understand what God's done for you. There's a tension always in truth and love. And it's something that's pretty radical because God is a God of truth and the truth is God created us and we owe him everything. That's the truth, right? We owe it to him to obey and to love him with everything that we have. That's what the scriptures say. We are dependent upon him for everything. And so, because, so therefore, even though we wanted to be our own masters, right, and nobody has ever come close to acting to, to, uh, towards God the way that they should, and there's this tension, and he should punish us. But in love, what? He wanted to receive us, okay? There's tension there. So what did he do? On the cross, think about this. Truth and love met. Right? Truth and love met on the cross. It took a lot of centuries to build this up. The father is going to reject the son. That's love, right? But that's the truth that we needed. The father is going to reject the son. And the son is experiencing torture and torment on the cross. All to do what? Right? So that we, in that moment, would not have to choose between truth and love. You don't have to choose between truth and love. Jesus did it for you. He is truth and love. And so when you begin to see that, right, what this calls us to enter into is saying, okay, how do I do this well, right? How can I enter into my marriage and begin to speak truthfully and lovingly? Have you ever seen the movie Doubt? It's with Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he was a priest. And then you had Meryl Streep. And Meryl Streep was the crusty old uh, nun who was the headmaster of the school. And every time she looked into the world, it didn't matter who you were, what situation was, it was kind of like, I know the world, and I know the way people are, right? And in this particular movie, it, you don't know exactly the truth of things, you don't know exactly what happened, but there are rumors that the priest has abused a young boy. And you're not exactly sure how things are. And you have this posture of Meryl Streep who just sees Philip Seymour Hoffman and she's just like, look, look, look who he is. He's this, he's that, he's done all this, that's all he is. And then you have the young nun, Amy Adams, right? From Enchanted, singing Disney songs, right? She's the young, she's the young history teacher and she's so excited about teaching and she heard, she has heard things but she would never believe them but you know, there's some stacking evidence and they're in the room and Philip Seymour Hoffman says to Amy and to Meryl Streep, no, this is what happened. You've got it wrong. And what does Amy Adams do as the young nun? She's like, that explains everything. Thank you. Yes. Let's just get back to loving people. I don't want to deal. I don't want to have, I don't want that to be the reality, right? I don't want that reality. Thank you for telling us, you know, what you think reality is. And so I believe that. So let's just love people. And Meryl Streep will have none of it. None of it. No, 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 no. Right? And it's a really interesting movie, the way it all plays itself out. But I thought, man, yeah, that's me. I found myself being both these people. I either don't want to deal with the truth of things, and I want to say everything's great. I do. I just want to say everything is great. Because it just gets in the way. But here's what the Bible says. It's like, if you're going to do this well, the text 
and the tone of your words matter, right? You need, no, no, you need to be truthful. The text matters, man. Word, the truthfulness of, but the tone matters. The way you do it matters. And you cannot separate one from the other. Jesus didn't, so you can't. Who are you? Who am I? And so, when you look at love, right? When you look at truth, truth without love, love without truth. What happens when someone gives you a hard truth and they're yelling at you? And you can feel the anger and the hate behind it. But they're saying something that's truthful. Can you hear that? No. When someone comes and hammers me and I don't feel any softness, I don't feel any trying to understand my perspective and they just come at me, what they might be saying is true, right? But the way they said it, it does not do any, I cannot hear them, right? And so the scriptures say you can't do that. You have to bear truthful testimony. You have to. And what happens when someone just doesn't say the truth. Literally, the truth is not heard because the truth is not said. So either way, right? Love without truth, nothing's communicated. Truth without love, nothing's communicated. There's nothing that happens. And he's saying that's why this is hard. That's why marriages break down, right? Because someone wants to be the truth teller and someone wants to be the loving person. That's why families break down because we're either all loving or we're the truth telling family. No, you gotta be both. It's gonna be tense. If you wanna do it for real, If you want to work through this stuff, if you want to bear truthful testimony and love your neighbor, get ready. Because it's not easy. And it's going to get sticky. It's going to get messy, right? Words matter. And when you begin to think about the lies in which we see, right? The the way in which, um, you know, we can actually do that. Think about um, the little lies that we say that can... Harmless little, little lies, polite lies that we tell everybody all the time. How are you doing? Fine, doing great. Um, oh, yeah, honey, this is this, and that's that, and la, la, la. Okay, good, bye, see you later. Okay, I'll text you, bye. All right, all right. They begin to build up. Think about um, lies in advertising, right? Lies a politician makes. Think about any, any, kind, of, any kind of twisting or exaggeration of the truth. Hey, there it is. Deceptive, what? Partial truths. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. You know the phrase, bear false witness, is a word that literally means insincere. You can't be insincere. When you're talking about your, when you're talking about your neighbor, your brother, your sister, you cannot be insincere. You have to be sincere. You can't twist things. You can't be partial. I mean, imagine, imagine little Johnny goes to the 7-Eleven, right? And... Uh, He's with three buddies. I'll call them X, Y, and Z. Okay? This is an illustration. And he goes to the Skittles, Kit Kat, and Starburst, my favorite area um, of 7 Eleven. He's hanging out there. And um, they go and they leave, and all of a sudden, the, um, you know, the, the worker of 7 Eleven comes out and he accuses Johnny of stealing. Two packs of Starburst. You stole two packs of Starburst. And the three buddies there, they saw what happened, right? And they know he didn't. But they don't want to get blamed, right? And so imagine the first one. Um, the first kid is asked, hey, X, <laughs> what did you see? Um, well, I saw Johnny steal the Starburst. Well, that's blatant lying, right? There's no doubt that was a lie. Okay. 
Um, person Y. Boy Y. What did you see? Imagine that, that guy says, well, all I'm going to say is I saw Johnny in the vicinity of the Starburst and the Kit Kat. Right? Now he says that. Doesn't give the whole truth. He, but he doesn't tell a lie. But he doesn't give the whole truth. And then imagine Boy Z says nothing. All three of them have broken the ninth commandment. All three of them have, right? One has um, given a partial truth because when you think about what it does, it's deception. That's what this is. Don't deceive. It's deceiving to not say anything, boy Z. It's deceiving to not tell the whole truth, boy Y. And of course it's deceiving to say an absolute falsity, boy X. And some of us think, oh no, I don't lie because I don't really say the, you know, the absolute opposite of what happened. I didn't just tell a bold-faced lie. I was just silent. No, you didn't say anything. You have to bear witness to your brother, right? Don't bear false witness does not mean you don't have to bear witness. You must say something. If you see it, and if you know what you, if you see what reality is, you must say it. You cannot be halfway or play silent. You know what, why this scares us? We don't want to get in it. We don't want to get in the mess with people. You don't want to get into um, drama. I don't want to get in the swamp with people. And what God is saying in this is, no, no, you don't have that right. I created you to be in relationship. And you know what it's going to be? It's going to be hard. Some of you want to not say anything. You broke the ninth commandment. Some of you just want to tell bold-faced lies. You broke the ninth commandment. Some of you just want to tell half-truths and think, okay, well, I didn't tell a lie. No, it's the same thing. Prejudice, right? Prejudice is untruthfulness. It's prejudging people, right? It's, it's prejudice is saying, don't blind me with the facts. Don't blind me with the facts. Here's what I know. And I bring all of that. It's untruthfulness. Being two different types of families, right? Here's the way we are in public, and here's the way we are in private. We are two different people. We are insincere. We, 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 we are deceiving, maybe not overtly deceiving to try to hurt somebody, but we're deceiving ourselves because we want to believe, hey, when people come over, we're like this, this is where we are. But then when we're together, we've got a whole other set of rules. Look, live a life, right, that is integrated, kind of like we talked about disintegration of, of the um, seventh commandment. You know, as a history major, I studied some of the Vikings. And you know, what was amazing is that the Vikings never wanted to renege or feel like anybody um, saw them in, in a way that they, they were trying to be untruthful or leading somebody astray or deceiving. And they would hate themselves if they said anything publicly, uh, if their word was said publicly and they didn't fulfill their word. However, they had no problem pillaging and plundering people, of going into villages and killing people, right? And of, of doing things to other people's wives you would never want done, these terrible things. But their conscience went bananas when what? When they said something publicly but, and realized, oh my gosh, i got to keep my word. I mean, it would cut them to the core if they would say something, right? And that weren't true, if they were to lie. I mean, you know, secular world, pagans know it's one thing to murder, right? It's another thing to rape. But they also knew it's, an, it's a completely other thing to decide you have the right to define reality. And they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't say, I'm going to define reality. So where are you, right? 
Here's what our culture says. When you say something and when you give a promise, it says this. If you make a promise and then it's gonna, and it looks like it's going to be hard, if you make a promise to somebody and it looks like it's going to be hard, um, and if it begins to not fulfill you when you made the promise, don't keep it. That's what the world says. Don't keep it. Don't keep your word. Don't keep your word. If it looks like it's going to be hard, or maybe don't make any promises at all. Don't use words then, right? But here's what scripture says. That truth telling and promise keeping are what? Are part of your humanity. It's the way God made you. And only a person can make a promise. What do you do with your words? Are you the person who just says, I want to love everybody and you don't ever tell them the truth? Are you the person that doesn't say anything because you don't want to get into it? You're not allowed to do that either. Or are you the person that's a bull in a china shop and you pride yourself on saying, I'm just going to give the truth. Destructive, destructive, destructive. That's why this is so hard, right? That's why we constantly have to be asking ourselves, okay, how, how do I use my words, God? What, how, how do I say things? How, 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 how is it going to be presented? Did I really tell the whole truth? Did I do it in love? And it's hard, but when we do the hard work, right? When we do the hard work, I think that is when we get it beautifully, right? Uh, we see it beautifully. When you know someone comes up to you and they're gonna tell you something and you sense it's going to be hard, but you see their lip quiver because they're nervous about the way that you're receiving it and you feel the softness in their demeanor and they said, Frank, I've gotta tell you this. You know, I think this is a weak spot. Dude, you have strengths, man, and they're unbelievable. But man, this weakness is glaring. You've got to deal with this. I feel like it's hurting you, and then it's bleeding into other people. Can you look at this? And when someone does that to me and gives me the, the respect and the love and the truth, man, I feel Jesus in that. Because here's what he says to the woman at the well. You've been sleeping around. You can't sleep around you can't but you know what you're mine and i love you no matter what but please don't sleep around it's hurting your soul it's hurting everything in you but i love you no matter what if we can do that in relationships if you can do that in your marriage or with your kids i'll tell you that's a game that's that's an absolute game changer right so how do we do it i think first if you want to heal things that you've said I think first you have to be honest about your dishonesty, right? I love what um, Chesterton says um, about our mouths and about words. He says this, no man is really any good till he knows how bad he is or might be. Till he's realized exactly how much right he has to all this snobbery and sneering and talking about criminals as as if they were apes in a forest 10,000 miles away. Till he's got rid of all the dirty self-deception of talking about low types and deficient skulls. Till he's squeezed out of his soul the last drop of the oil of the Pharisees. Till his only hope is somehow or other to have captured one criminal, the one under his own hat. Right? You'll never be, become honest unless what? Unless you're willing to get honest with yourself about your own sin. When you can see that, right? The places in which you've lied or you've either... You know, you've lied overtly or you've been covert in your lies. When you begin to see that, right, 
And you begin to hate that and, and realize that Jesus came to you with truth and love and, and realize, man, I, I'm not even doing this with my own self. When you can understand that, right? I think that is when, hey, you know, all words matter and my words matter and I have been destructive in words and maybe I've been negligent in giving positive words to the people I love the most. I haven't given them words, man. I haven't ever said this to my father. I need to. And I've, I've never said this about my father because I need to. The good and the bad. We haven't used enough words. And so when you think about Jesus, I think a lot of us say, all that matters, ultimately, if I'm going to deal with this, is how you feel about yourself. And um, you know what? Here's what the Bible says. For this morning, you don't need an inside word. You need an outside word. Right? You don't need just good self-talk. Here's what you need. You need what Jesus needed right before he started his ministry. And it's the word of his father externally, outside of him, which said this. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? What if you heard that voice from God, that you are his beloved and he loves you no matter what? Now go and do mission. I think we can start saying things. We start using words with a lot more love, right? We can, we can start saying hard things, truthful hard things with all kinds of love. And we can say vulnerable things like how much somebody means to you because that's the truth and they don't know it. They don't know how much they mean to you. And you know what? That would help them because they're missing out. But also you're missing out on the power of saying that to them and the power of that interaction. What if we used a ton more love to just say it to those that we care about? I love you. What God has done through you to me has been a game changer. Thank you. You know what that would mean to yourself but also to that person? And then for you to be able to also say, I believe that. Now, here are a couple things in the way. This and this and this. Can we work through that? Words, the power of words. Romans 8, 16 says this. He tells us that the job of the Holy Spirit is to come into our hearts repeatedly and bear witness, bear truthful witness with our own hearts that we are his children. Where are you this morning, right? Where are you? Where are your words? We can't stay silent. We are called to bear truthful witness for our brother, right? For our neighbors. How do you use your words? How is how is words destroyed? How have words healed in your life? Let's let's pray and ask God to use that. Father, we know your words uh, to us have been life. And they define us. And God, you know the ways in which our tongue has um God, we have used your name in vain so many times. God, we have used even your name to destroy. And there's some in this room that just need healing from that. They need to be honest with you about the words that they have used and hurt people and hurt themselves. And just admit that. I feel like there's some in this room that just need to hear. In this room right now that they are beloved. That they are loved. And you are well pleased with them in this room, God. And that the lies that Satan has told them, either that they don't need the word of God because they're self, they self-rule, or that they're nothing, they're worthless, 
that there's no dignity, that they're thinking about taking their own lives, God. When we hear about more and more stories of suicide, and it is all based on a lie. It is not true. God, you need to heal our land of that. So this commandment, Father, that seems way away and antiquated, bring it into this room and teach us to to bear truthful witness to our sisters and our brothers. And God, will you use those words that can give life to, to build us up, to build our church up so that maybe someone on the outside would look at our church and say, man, you guys love each other, but you also tell the truth. How do you do that? I can never, it's out to be one or the other. And we can say, no, it's only through you that we do that. And then we evangelize through our words. Help us, God, please. We need that. I need that in my own life, God. You know I do. We thank you for the power of uh, your word, the power of your spirit that's in this room. Now do your work in us, Father, in your name. Amen.